0: All right, I'm recording. All right, let's do this. You're
1: listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Vadim Karaz and
0: Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben from Dreamloud Studio. What's going on, dude? I bought a snare
1: drum. <laughs> yes, tell me. I did.
0: Confessions right off the bat.
1: Yeah, so a drummer that used to play in a band that I toured with, he had this Tama snare drum that was like 14 ply babanga. And I always made fun of him for it because <laughs> when he, when he, and it's a great snare drum, by the way, but. Instead of saying anything else about the snare drum, like the tone's immaculate, anything, the first thing he says is, this snare drum is supposed to be the loudest snare drum that you can <laughs> use for recording. Yes. And I'm like, your old snare drum was the loudest snare drum I've ever heard. Why would you need a louder snare drum? So I just always <laughs> made fun of like, now you're piercing my ears even more with this snare drum. So yeah, the reason I bring him up is because the snare drum I saw, I went into this, um, local uh, guitar shop, music shop, I guess I should say, where they do their March Madness sale every year. And uh, they decided to do a week for this COVID year instead of a month. And the best place to go looking is the bargain basement. So they have this basement where they have used gear. I love it already. Oh, it's amazing. Because you can just find this amazing stuff down there that people just get rid of. Previously, I had found... Like a $400 Zildjian 21 inch Rob Morgenstein tri top ping ride that I found for a hundred bucks there. I
0: don't know the details of the symbol, but that sounds like really affordable
1: for a nice symbol. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was list price, I think, over $400. Okay. So, yeah, great deal. So I went down there and I wanted to get a a few different drum things to upgrade my kit a little bit. And one thing I've had my eye on is a better snare drum because my snare drum, it's the shallower one. So it's just not good for hard rock. I can't get deeper tones. So mm-hmm. there was a few snare drums there. And I saw that Tama one. I was like, Oh, toma's a good name. And I saw that it was bubanga, like a more exotic wood. And I'm like, <laughs> it's 14 ply. It's how many ply is it? 14 ply. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, actually that one might have been 10 ply. Uh I don't remember, but I was like I'll just ask for what the price is on this. And you know, the guy upstairs he's like 300 bucks for that snare and I'm like I think that's probably a really good deal on this snare. So I was like I'm just going to buy it. I bought it, brought it home, looked it up. So they don't make they don't make them anymore, but the used ones on eBay are going for $650 is the cheapest I found. So wow. I got cool. another good deal. And then I yeah. told I told Jake, the drummer from my one band Nafel, about getting the snare. I'm like, you gotta see the snare. And he's like, that's the exact snare that I have. I'm like, what are you nice. serious? So yeah. So that's awesome. So have you hit it? <laughs> I've I've hit it a little bit. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's nice. It is nice. Yeah. I'm actually gonna set it up on Sunday and probably record some stuff with it. So we'll actually get some samples from it. I'm I'm really pumped. Cool. I always like getting new drum gear, even though I don't get to play as much.
0: Yeah, snare drum is one of those things that it it, it helps to have a couple. It's like guitars in a sense. Like, yeah. You can choose the snare drum based on the type of song you're working on. So I've seen studios that have the snare drum rack, and they have like eight different yeah. snare drums. And uh, even though the rest of the kit is pretty much staying the same. So it's yeah, it's nice to
1: expand a little bit like that. So it's great for... A- A recording studio, obviously, but it's also great for a band to have a signature snare sound. I remember somebody saying that the two easiest ways to identify a band is by their lead vocalist and the snare drum sound. Ooh, interesting. That's a great quote. I don't know if that's true, but I I definitely think there's like specific bands out there that you could, like the St. Anger snare. Like everybody knows that's the Metallica terrible snare drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crank to heck, like you know, yeah, lug nut tightened overtone. So, yeah, the other one you
0: bring up you've brought up before is the uh, the 311 super tight snare mm. is very recognizable
1: because like, he uses a Teflon head so he could crank it down even
0: more. Mm. That's a very recognizable snare tone. I'm trying to think of who else, I mean, clutch, mm. the clutch stuff mixed by machine um that's like one of my favorite rock snares hard rock snares what else what else is a recognizable snare
1: probably joey jordanson once again it's really pingy Um yeah red hot chili peppers incubus but those are bands that i listen to
0: yeah i don't know that i could tell those two apart if you were like just played them soloed I, i don't know that i'd be able to tell yeah anyway um Yes. Well, I will tell you, I told you offline I up I updated the RAM on my computer, yes. inspired by your DIY shenanigans. Um <laughs> actually my, my dad just retired and he's he worked in computers. And oh, I, that's I helpful. saw him Yeah. He brought me a bunch of RAM sticks last time I saw him, which was like a weekend ago. So I opened my computer. It was the first time I've ever opened this computer. I've had it for five years. And I had four slots and two Sticks already in there, mm. and um, the whole thing took 45 minutes, so it was not too bad. But I did find that, like, the freaking cooler on the motherboard is just massive. Oh, you have a big cooler and, built into it, yeah, big cooler and cables connected to the HDDs. I had to like disconnect some of them and still kind of, I didn't want to take the cooler off, it's like, I don't want to mess with that stuff. So I had to do a little bit of finger gymnastics to 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 work everything in there and much to my surprise it worked and now I can run a million plugins at the same time and that's awesome and now my processor is the uh, is the limiting factor yeah. which
1: that's for another time on a quick side note I'm glad you didn't take off the fan because they use heat sink glue a lot of times to connect the fan to the CPU and so it's not bad to remove that, but you should replace it with new heat sink glue to improve the conduction. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I really didn't want to mess with that. But yeah, I'm like a you know how hockey players never shave during the playoffs? Yes. That's that's how I am when I'm like working on a on a project. Like I won't even wipe <laughs> the dust in my studio. Like I don't want to touch anything. Because yes. I'm so neurotic about something changing that's going to mess with my whatever I'm working with. I hear you, man. So I'm just in between projects. I just started a new one. And so that I had a couple of days in there. I was like, I'm going to clean my studio. I'm going to put in more RAM. And uh,
1: yeah. That's awesome, dude. You know I'm always behind upgrading computers. So Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Cool. Well, we're going to do a couple things today. We're
0: going to start with the DIY showcase. Uh, this DIY showcase comes to us from the UK. This is a listener, Malcolm. He's from
1: Doncaster, England. Thank you, Malcolm. And I did get your yeah. second email, by the way. Thank you.
0: Yeah, he emailed us with some notes. I'm just going to read a little bit. He is self-taught, classically trained pianist. Uh, developed a love of recording in the late 90s, been in various bands. They were all short-lived. So now he's basically DIY doing everything, writing, recording, producing his own stuff. Started working on his album late last year and has completed three songs to date out of a planned 10. His wife kindly let him turn a spare bedroom into a studio. Definitely appreciated that. So his song is called Love. It's a very honest and heartfelt love song. Written about my wife who changed my life over 17 years ago. Started as a single piano vocal song. However, I felt it needed more. It was a little too vulnerable with just those two elements, which is a really interesting way of, of mm-hmm. putting it. Oh, man, I really didn't read through. should have read through this in advance. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. He says, Uh, As a keyboardist, I rely on virtual instruments. I have some great instruments, and I love the wealth of choice I have to lift my mixes. I have several guitars that I can play. However, I'm not so proficient that I could confidently solo. So basically, piano is his main instrument. And he was telling me about the keyboard. He has this like a fancy weighted keyboard. So, you know, he's effectively, it feels like he's playing a piano, and then he's relying on some high-quality Uh, virtual instruments to get him the rest of the way there he also Mm. programmed the drums himself he did everything himself he's the the singer as well and he says i mainly track on headphones i also mainly mix on headphones interesting but he has some backup monitors and that's about it so we'll yeah we'll play the song and then we'll uh chat a bit about it
1: thoughts cool so straight off the bat thank you malcolm for sending in your song i'm really honored you said a lot of kind things about us as well uh and i'm happy to report that you have a great song it sounds awesome i really love the piano motif in the beginning it reminded me of so many like great like 90s rock ballads in in a great way i think it's arranged really beautifully i I love the lyrics couple things that jumped out
0: to me that i i really liked i think the the piano performance is really nice um it just it feels like a professional two-handed good old piano performance which is something that i don't do (laughs) mine are very hacked together and require a lot of uh like midi editing on the back end but this felt like a very kind of authentic piano performance i I like the piano tones um, I also really like the little snare kind of um slap back delay. it kind of spreads so you like the snare hits and then you get this kind of splash out to the sides, which mm. uh, I really I really like that the little um I like that effect on a snare in general, but I thought it worked really well with the the timing and feel of um of this song um what else? I thought the drum programming, uh, more on the drum programming, was really good. I, it felt like, you know, I, I believe that a real drummer played it. And specifically, the hi-hats is something I always listen for, right? Like the hi-hats tend to give away a programmed drum. And these hi-hats sounded really nice to me. So yeah. uh, that's another really positive thing. And, I you know, I just like a genuine love song written for his wife. That's, yeah, uh, it's that's nice. Yeah, it's very
1: sweet. Yeah.
0: yeah and then um yeah i I like the song structure you know i think it has good builds uh kind of ebbs and flows nicely there's a couple of courses in there the courses are big you get the background vocals that come in the verses are a little more subdued so yeah i thought it uh it flowed
1: pretty well yes i agree with that any constructive notes ben i have a couple of constructive notes um I'm trying to see if all my notes were mixing notes or any were like arranging or songwriting notes. I don't think I had really mm. any songwriting notes. I could tell you're a seasoned songwriter. This isn't your first rodeo. Mm. So, yeah. That's great. Um so all my constructive crit- criticism are strictly mixing. Okay. Um, and that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that my opinion is the right way either. It's just kind of what I heard and felt. I think the biggest thing that jumped out at me is I kind of wish that there were more dynamics in the song, the drums in particular, but even the piano, I didn't really feel like there was too much punch. It just kind of sounded like everything was at the same volume the whole time. Did you get Do you that mean sense?
0: between? Uh, so yeah, maybe as I, I want to want you to clarify, do you mean between uh, The instruments or from song section to song section?
1: I mean, kind of both, but I heard it more just mm. in, in the instruments themselves. Like I felt like I wanted to, and, and the way I would describe it is like, so on the keys, the low notes, when you're hitting some of those lower chords, I would expect to feel or hear more. I mean, it wouldn't really be felt, but cure more like air moving or, like pressure, like more coming. weight to the more, more to weight, the, yeah, to the left hand. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And kind of similar thing with even the kick drum, where maybe there's more of an evolution from that kick, and you could get that even maybe from some reverb too, where you hear the kick and then the low end kind of blooms out from that. I, I think would be a really appropriate for a song like this, and and I felt like it just was kind of a little bit more. Flat dynamic-wise across the board. Mm, interesting.
0: Interesting. I I do, I do agree with you on the piano comment. I think that the low, the left hand could use a little bit more weight. I was kind of hearing that, and also I thought that the, the dynamics between the choruses and the verses, the 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 difference there, could have been greater. And the answer might be to strip more away from the verses. Um but you know other than the background vocals, i did want more i wanted to hear more of like an impact when the chorus comes in mm-hmm. um it was it was dynamic wise there it, it was pretty consistent i think as well like from verse to chorus right right yeah i think that's a yeah that's a good note i i do think it could maybe that's the nature of the song too it's um it's it's not quite a straightforward like a b a b yeah progression so uh, maybe there's some leeway there but yeah it's a good note what else you got
1: uh we talked about this a little bit offline but I'll, I'll bring up the stereo chorus effect on the vocals so it was interesting to me because you pointed out that you think that that's a double that we're hearing i didn't know if it was a chorus effect or if it was a double turned up pretty loud and i just felt like it was a little bit disorienting and the reason i use the word disorienting is when I had the headphones on in particular, listening to it, it just kind of sounded like there was this hollowness in the vocal or uh, like, like almost seeing a double image. Like I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be one vocal part or I somehow was hearing two where it should have been one. Mm. But knowing that it was a double, all I would say is that maybe if that was pulled back in the mix a little bit to support uh, the main one, then it would have more of that effect of just kind of bolstering the single performance. I I guess what I'm trying to say is, if that was your intention, Malcolm, to make that like effect, then that's totally fine. That's an artistic choice. But uh, if the intention was to maybe support and give more body to the main vocal, I would just pull the backup back a little bit so that it's kind of a more felt thing instead of heard. Mm.
0: yeah I, I I, agree with you on that effect I think I'm not 100% sure but I thought in our we, we had ex- exchanged a couple of emails I thought he said it was all doubles so
1: what I said in the emails first of all that's amazing to be able to get doubles that are that tight that's a really good so, point because I think that's why I didn't think that they were doubles because it's so exact it sounds like the same performance duplicated yeah <laughs> it does
0: I. that's why I you know, I listening to it again, I still like I'm still impressed because I think I'm 95% sure he said it was just doubles. But I agree with you. I, I did get a, like kind of a hollowness. And part of that, I was playing around with it while listening to it. And I kind of just, I boosted a little bit of like 560 hertz in it just to try to fill out this hollowness that I thought I I heard in the main vocal. And it did help a little bit. But I do still find that chorus effect is cool, but it would maybe, it's hard to say exactly, but just just off the top of my head, like maybe if it was coming in and out, like maybe just came in at the tail end of a phrase mm. for a couple of notes or, you know, having it there through the whole song was, it, it was a little, it, it didn't seem quite right to me. And, and the more I listened to the song, the more I kind of thought that. But you're right, it is, you know, and that's that's a, artistic decision and if that's what you're going for is that kind of uh it's almost like a mono slap short slap back or short chorus but but very much still in mono um if that's what you're going for then
1: great you know it's just just our opinion right yeah that was my only two critical notes for it but uh other than that great job malcolm
0: yeah, I thought you know the the mix balance overall was was really good. I thought I, I don't I didn't have a problem with the kick. I thought the kick sounded nice actually, um, and just you know across the the frequency spectrum, there wasn't anything like jarring to me when I when I listened to it and I listened to it in headphones. I listened to it in the studio. It was like you know it, it felt like a well balanced mix. So yeah, kudos I, there. I agree with that. It was definitely well balanced. Nice job. Cool. Yeah, nice job, Malcolm. Thanks for the email exchanges and the kind words. Were Glad to have you as a podcast listener. We're yeah. happy that you're sharing your music with us and we're willing to let us share it on the podcast. I know that can be a very vulnerable thing as well to uh, give yourself up for some some criticism from a bunch of jerks like us. <laughs> uh, so we appreciate it and we appreciate you uh, you listening. Yeah, thank you. Let us know when the album comes out. All right, my man. Well, we're moving on. We are talking about digital audio workstations
1: today yes. in another back to basics episode. So, we did. Uh, I-, I heard the reversing uh, uh, turntable happen in my head when you said that. Back to the basics. Woof, 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 woof.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> back to the basics. Yeah. Before we get too
0: uh, carried away on this podcast with a bunch of nitty gritty detail topics that are very niche, uh, yes. we want to periodically go back to the basics and talk about. Some of the basic tools in our arsenal. Make sure we understand exactly how to use them. What you need to know. So we did our first back to basics episode was on interfaces. It's called anatomy of an interface. So today we're going to do something similar on anatomy of a DAW. And Ben, I do I didn't tell you this, but I'm having yes. a, I'm having a bit of a DAW crisis actually at the moment. Tell me more. Basically, I've come to a a, a crossroads here. Uh oh. Going forward, I, I'm a Pro Tools user. And going forward, I need to decide right now whether I'm going to invest more in my in my Pro Tools skills because I have a lot to learn or if I'm going to jump ship. And I've decided if I jump ship, I'm going to go to Studio One. Yes. Based on feedback I've gotten from a bunch of people, yourself included. Um, as recently as this morning, I was talking to somebody <laughs> who switched from Pro Tools to Studio One. Anyway, so that's Seriously, that's, uh, that's pretty
1: cool to hear. It's
0: interesting. Yeah, we can we can talk more about that towards the end. But let's
1: start with what is a DAW, Ben? What does it do? First of all, I will tell you a DAW is a digital audio workstation. That is what it is. But basically, the way I, I think about a DAW is it's a program that essentially acts as a middleman between all of your audio files uh your virtual instruments, any plugins you might buy or come pre installed in your digital audio workstation itself that you would use to manipulate audio. It's basically a liaison to <laughs> <laughs> you like how I said that did you just say liaison with a French accent. French the N at the end for no reason. I did. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh keep going. Yes. But it's a liaison for um for recording, uh, mixing, and editing, and it's basically allowing us to do a whole bunch of uh, audio-related things in a computer. Right, it's a way to reach in and touch the
0: digital recording in a sense and manipulate it. And as opposed to the analogy you know we always use is like Photoshop. I can open up a photo on my computer and I can edit it to some extent. But if I want to dig into the layers and be able to manipulate layer by layer and really fine tune and tweak things, I need something like Photoshop, which allows me to work with layers and also has better processing capabilities. And that's what a digital audio workstation allows us to do for audio. Actually, we have a whole chapter on the DAW in our Digital Recording Basics eBook, it's chapter four. And, yes, I'm reading what I wrote there, and that's a, kind of exactly what I say. I say the DAW is the piece of software that lets you see and touch your audio, right? So that is essentially what every DAW does. Some common yeah. DAWs you may have heard of are, well, Pro Tools is what I currently use. Studio One is what Ben uses. Uh, Logic, Cubase, Reaper. Um, what are some other ones? There's GarageBand. GarageBand. And Ableton Live um, for
1: all you electronic musicians out there.
0: Ableton Live and FL Studio. Yeah, more for electronic workflows. So yeah, um, let's talk about some of the basic capabilities here. We've already touched on them, but what do you think of as like the the basic capabilities of a,
1: of a DAW that they all have in common? Good point. Um, I think I mentioned them already, but I would want my DAW to be able to record audio to arrange what I recorded to edit and then to mix at least those three or four things. And then maybe depending on the DAW you get, you get a couple extra features here or there, but those are the basics that I would want from any DAW.
0: Right. And one of the, one of the basic things that I always think about is the fact that it's multi-track recording. The fact that you Mm, can record multiple tracks individually, independently, you can Solo and mute those tracks one by one. So, if you solo a track, meaning you will listen to just the track you're soloing or just the tracks you are soloing, you can solo multiple tracks. And likewise, you can mute certain tracks and have them drop out. To me, that is like one of the key features of a DAW as well, because I remember growing up on my Windows 95 or whatever machine, Mm -hmm. there was a little app called Sound Recorder. And you could hit record and you could just record one waveform and that's it. Right. And it was like, that's cool. And I remember thinking, can I use this somehow to record? But the key functionality that was missing there is the ability to multi-track record, which is where you can now layer things and control those layers independently. Along with that, so you if you picture your when you open up a new session in your DAW, first of all, you will have to select some settings. And this tells Mm. the software what kind of audio you're working with what are your settings for example sample rate we talk about or bit rate which is a combination bit rate is just bit depth and sample rate which are uh, two parameters for digital audio so you set those settings then you open up your your session and you can create tracks in that session those tracks can be different flavors of tracks so the simplest one we think of is an audio track So an audio track has these basic capabilities that we just talked about first of all you can arm that track for recording and when you assign an input to it so you say uh, input one whatever's plugged into input one on my interface now this track is assigned to that input and when you hit record if that track was armed for recording you will be able to record audio and this is the other key point is that you can arm tracks for recording individually so I can have three tracks that were already recorded, and I can just arm my new track. Or I could arm all four tracks at the same time and record on all four tracks from different inputs. Um, So that's one type of track. What's what's the next type of track you think of other than an audio
1: track that you can create in a DAW? Uh, I think of a MIDI track, I think. Yep. So tell me about that. It looks like an audio track, but the difference is you would just have... Uh, On your y-axis, you would have your piano roll. So all Mm -hmm. 88 keys from a keyboard. And then you'll see little dashed lines. uh, And they'll be on one of these notes on the keyboard, but in time to your music. So they could be 16th notes, whole notes, half notes, quarter notes, uh, or some other value. And that represents... How long a key is held, along with some information about velocity and uh, what else? What else is included in there? So we've got key strike, key release, attack velocity, and maybe sustain pedal. I can't think of anything else that would be included in that.
0: Mm. Yeah, those are the basics. So the the key here. This is one thing I was I was confused on when I first started working in Pro Tools. There is a MIDI track, we can create a MIDI track and that track will have MIDI on it. But there's also an instrument track and Mm. that is a different beast altogether. So we think, we've talked about MIDI a lot on this podcast before. Uh, We we think about MIDI as a way to drive virtual instruments, which it absolutely is. But it can do other things as well. For example, you can control hardware patch settings with MIDI or you can trigger samples with MIDI. Basically, it's code. You can think of it as like, you've programmed a robot to press keyboard uh, keys for you at specific times. So when you create just a MIDI track in Pro Tools, there's no audio associated with that. Now you can route that MIDI to different things and make it do different things, but the next type of track would be an instrument track. And an instrument track is a track that allows you to have MIDI and then use that MIDI to drive a virtual instrument, which is inserted onto that instrument track. Is it similar in Studio One?
1: Yeah, very. it works the same way, in fact. Um, I have a great analogy for this, and I hope that most people can relate to this, but think back to old black and white Disney cartoons, and think of like a player piano that you see in there. Yep. So a player piano is a, exactly, it's a physical representation of what's happening in our DAW with MIDI and a virtual instrument. So the piano itself is the instrument, the virtual instrument. And then the scroll that has the cutout notes that tell the player piano what notes to play, that is the MIDI. Right, exactly. So creating just a MIDI track is like
0: creating just that scroll. And then you have to still like put that scroll into a player piano to actually get it to make sound. Yeah. But the the cool thing about a MIDI track is that you can use that MIDI track to drive multiple instruments, for example. So if you created a MIDI track, you can route the output of that track to the input of various virtual instruments that you have set up on other tracks in your session, and you can use that to layer tones. In fact, Mm. I've used a MIDI track to drive my hardware synth in a very cool way. So I had a patch loaded up on my hardware synthesizer which just looks like a keyboard but it has a usb connection into my computer if i want it mm. and i just told my i had a midi track and i said hey just to see if i could do this drive my synth with this midi track and it did it was playing patches off of my my synth that's with cool MIDI, which i thought was yeah it was pretty cool so it gives you a lot of flexibility there uh what's another type of track
1: uh, we can do actually, well, I, I was going to just bring up the tracks in my DAW right here. Automation tracks are a different kind okay. of track. I don't know if we want to get into that. That's a little bit more, that might be a little bit more advanced, but. Yeah. Maybe let's table that. Cause I do, okay. uh, towards the end of this,
0: I do want to talk about like. Right now we're getting to like, these are the day one things that you probably already know playing around with this. Then we're gonna get into like, what should you be focused on next, right? Okay. On your DAW. And I think automation maybe falls into that category. But the other other type of track I can think of is a, maybe this falls into that category too, is a bus, right? On, On Pro Tools, it's called an auxiliary input track. And what that means is, let's say I have five audio tracks. They're all guitars. I may want to route those tracks to a bus. So I can route them to my, directly to my outputs. I can say the output of these tracks they just goes directly to my interface and into my headphones. Great. I can totally do that. But if I want to process all of those guitars together, which I may want to do, then I can route their outputs to bus 4 or whatever bus. I can name it whatever I want. I can name it guitar bus. And then I can create an auxiliary input track or a bus track and i set the input of that auxiliary track to guitar bus and now all of those guitar bus tracks that i've set the output for will route kind of like rivers flowing into <laughs> one or streams flowing into one big river will route to my big guitar bus and the nice thing about that is that now i can control all of my guitars with a single fader for example or a single pan knob or whatever i want to do so bussing is a kind of a medium uh, between this, uh, novice and advanced that's a yeah. medium feature that um you should be aware of We'll maybe we'll talk a little bit about why yeah. and when it's useful
1: it is important and even if you don't use well even if you say i don't use buses you do because your main output is a bus yep in theory so it it's a very important thing something very useful so we'll we'll talk about it more later
0: yeah so I think that covers the basics. So, so again, just each each track has a couple of features, and you can have multiple tracks. So each track has the ability to uh, you can you can arm it for recording, you can solo it, you can mute it, you can set an input to that track, which just says what's coming into this track, what's the source, and what's the output, where is it going? Um, those are the basic functions of tracks, and I think you mentioned some of the other basic features, which is that we should be able to edit each track individually, so we should be able to cut things, move things, remove things, and also it's the bridge, the DAW is the bridge between our tracks that we recorded and the digital processing we want to use, so there's all these companies that make these different plugins, which are just bits of software that can do uh, programming or different processing for us, uh, they're like little bits of math code, basically, and the DAW is what allows us to insert these plugins and process our audio. That's another key feature of the DAW. And Ben, I I worked with a with an artist years ago who swore up and down that he upgraded his DAW and got better sound instantly. <laughs> really? And I was like, <laughs> I was I, I couldn't convince him that it was impossible. <laughs> That's like saying dude, I got this new Texas Instruments calculator and like my math scores have been going through the roof. It's like, (laughs) no, that's not how it works.
1: (laughs) Just a vehicle. It's just a vehicle. Yeah.
0: Well, literally, it's like a calculator. Digital audio is like a calculator. You put in a plug in it, that's basically what it's doing. So, So this is a key point is that the DAW in and of itself does not affect your sound quality. It may have different features and different tools, like GarageBand doesn't have as many features as Logic, for example, but for apples to apples comparison, you will not hear a sound difference between GarageBand and Logic if you're doing the same exact things in both.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I I think for all intents and purposes, all the DAWs, just default settings, drop in audio, compare them, drop an audio bounce it down and compare what you get from all the DAWs I think you wind up with the exact same result.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm 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 very confident in that. And so the the question of what DAW you get comes down to a couple of things. I mean, there are feature differences. Like you mentioned Ableton is is very popular for like electronic music production and the reason is because of the features. It has some nice features with being able to quickly Uh, work with loops and sections and it's it's a it's a workflow question and um by and large all of these major DAWs have broadly the same features yeah okay maybe they're not executed quite the same way but for all intents and purposes the important thing is to pick one and learn it well enough to be quick yeah right and that's my big hesitancy with leaving Pro Tools is that I'm quick in Pro Tools with editing. And so I yeah. know that, you know, it's going to take me time. Like, the I was thinking about it. It's like brushing my teeth, right? I could brush my teeth with my left hand. Yeah. And like, I get the mechanics of brushing teeth. I understand what I'm doing, but it would be really hard for me because I've spent 30 some years brushing my teeth with my right hand. Right. I don't
1: know why I relate to this so much, but I feel like every night when I go to brush my teeth, I'm also trying to bounce out audio or something like that. So I inevitably <laughs> am trying to brush my teeth with my left hand and then I just give up because I'm trying to click click around in my DAW with my right hand. You're like and sitting it just at your works. computer brushing oh, your yeah. teeth? Oh, yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's I love it. That's profound. Yeah. So <laughs> That's anyway, so, that, so this is really an apt analogy for you. But yeah. It is, uh, yes. Pick one, stick with it, learn it. So let's get into maybe some of these things. Like once we know these basics, okay, we can arm our tracks for recording. We set the inputs. We set the outputs. We understand that. We know how to do some some, uh, some of this basic stuff. What are like the next things people should focus on learning? Because there's a lot to learn in these oh, dogs, man. right? So wh- what's like the next low-hanging fruit once you can get
1: audio and MIDI recorded? Sometimes it's hard for me to to think of the answer to this question because the way I feel like the way that I learned how to navigate my DAW and set up audio is the exact like opposite order that it should have been in. Like okay. I learned I learned all the later steps that I needed to know before I learned the very basics. So I think with that being said, probably the next most important thing to learn is setting up Setting up a song session. Let's just start Mm. right at the basics. Um, Because whether or not you're using your DAW for songwriting, editing, or mixing, you're still going to want to set these parameters before you start. Or quickly after you start. So let's start with tempo. Tempo is really important because obviously if you're trying to record something, it's gonna sound more in time if you can turn on the click track or metronome inside the DAW while you're playing along to it. But even even if you're in a situation where, let's say you're mixing, oh, I don't need to know the tempo, I'm just mixing, it's still helpful to have the tempo, the correct tempo mapped in your session because all of your delays are going to sync up with the tempo of your track. And sometimes the delays just sound really bad if they're not synced up to a quarter note or an eighth note. Um, but even if you don't yeah. even want to use the quarter note or eighth note, it's just a good starting point. You know, and let's even talk about editing. Uh, if you have everything lined up to a grid, it's easier to see when things are, when they're in time and out of time. So setting setting your time base is initially a super important step. Couldn't agree more. I think that's that's
0: that was on my list as well, as setting up that grid and you really hit on all the all the major points there. Um, I don't really have too much to add there. It, I have tried to mix songs that I've gotten without setting up the grid, and it's definitely doable because you know you can you can manually adjust delay times on plugins, and you can do it by ear. But just editing alone to have a grid, a visual cue when you're editing is so huge. Because honestly, a lot of times you can do your first pass editing like without even listening. Yeah. Right? You just just if you have a good grid and if it was recorded to to a click. So, absolutely. Establishing the grid,
1: you should definitely take some time to to learn how to do that. Before we move on from there, I want to throw I'm going to throw out my tips as we hit all these topics. Perfect. So, very often whether I'm collabing with a musician friend or mixing a song, I won't get the tempo info, and I'm first I'm very infuriated. <laughs> but then, then after I'm angry, here's a quick trick for figuring out the tempo without knowing it ahead of time. So if you can... I know this works in Pro Tools. It also works in Studio One. The tab button on the keyboard, you can tab the transient. Now, we've talked about transients before, but transients are the very sharp peaks you get from the initial attack of uh, a percussion instrument or a plucked instrument so you'll see them on guitars, keyboards, not so much vocals, but definitely on drums. You'll definitely see them on drum hits. Okay. Uh, if you can tab to that very first hit in the song, oftentimes, cut the audio right there, delete what comes before, slide that audio to the very beginning of your session, and then start from there with the click, and then normally you it's a lot easier to set the tempo or figure out what the tempo is from there. And normally you can play around and get a ballpark and then just hone in by changing the BPM, BPM by plus one or minus one. Then once you figure that out, then you can uh, drag the audio back away from the beginning so that you have like all that information that you deleted at first. And then uh, then you'll right. have everything set up to the grid. So that's something I do pretty often. Absolutely. I do the same
0: thing. And, and another another part of that is... So you, you um you tap to the transient, cut what comes before it. Now you have your one, that's your one beat, and you can align that with whatever grid you have. Then the next thing I'll do is um in Pro Tools there's this feature where I can tap the letter T on my keyboard mm. and it'll set the the BPM of my session to my tap. So I'll just listen to the song and I'll just be tap I'll just tap for, you know, a couple seconds that gives me a starting point and then you know I might have to tweak one or two bpm from there to uh to find it um but that that's a very helpful tool and and you're right and, and again a lot of times visually once you see that grid you can be like oh the grid is a little bit faster yeah or yeah the grid is a little too slow so yeah very helpful tool the next thing i'll say that that goes along with that is learn how to group tracks this mm. is very huge for something like drums where When you have a drum kit recorded, you don't want to edit just the snare drum by itself because the snare is also coming through on the overhead mics and possibly the room mics and whatever else. So you need to be able to edit all of those tracks together. And the way to solve that is through a process called grouping. So I can take all of my drum tracks, which were recorded together, and I put them all in a group. And so when I move things around, for example, they all move together. Which is what I want for for drums. So that grouping is a is a huge, uh, a very important feature.
1: I do the same thing. I think additionally to that, one thing I'll do with labeling is I label all my drums with the same prefix DRM space mm. dash space and then whatever the track name is. And I'll do the same thing with guitars GTR, basses BASs, and And onwards. And the reason I do that is because once I export them and either have to bring them into a new session or give them to somebody else, they're already grouped perfectly for the next person. They're not, I can't tell you, the most frustrating thing ever is to get just a name track. And so you might get something like Gretsch. And then the next thing is Scratchy Vocal. And then after that is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 reverb and then Uh, it's just all over the place and you're like none of these are grouped together so if you have to bring that into a session where things are just organized by you know alphabetically then you might waste an hour just organizing everything listening to everything individually oh so
0: you're you're saying like even by naming them consistently then when you export them in your file explorer they will group together like all the drums will be grouped together yeah that's huge i actually don't do that, but that's that's a great idea to do as well. So, uh, yeah, that's another thing is is grouping your stems once they're once they're exported. Um, you mentioned tap to transient, and I think the, the the next thing along with these two things, which are once you've learned how to do groups and how to tap to transients, um, slip editing right is is the next huge thing you're going to need to do. Which is slip editing is just the idea of being able to slide things around and fix timing issues without quantizing. So quantizing is basically when you're telling the computer, hey, take all the transients or all the beats or whatever, or all the MIDI notes and just line them up perfectly to my grid. And that will be very robotic and mechanical, usually not desirable. Slip editing is the idea of being able to move free of the grid. So you have the grid as a visual reference, but you're not locked to the grid. So you can slide things around kind of smoothly and slip editing is a huge Thing to do before you start mixing, right? We always talk oh, about yeah. uh, it just makes stuff sound better. Like you, when the when stuff sounds tighter, it'll sound better. So learn how invest some time in learning how to slip edit. And the huge, huge thing with slip editing is knowing keyboard shortcuts. So for example, the, you know, I have this is where I, I need to get better, but I know there's a couple that I use all the time, which is like to clip or to split tracks or split clips. So I have a keyboard shortcut for that so I can place my cursor somewhere or, or tap to the transient and split clips with a keystroke. That's very helpful to know how to do and also crossfade to uh, minimize any clicks or pops. So what happens there is like if you've split a clip and you've slid it over, you've now changed you had some kind of natural smooth waveform and you've now changed that continuous waveform to have a discontinuity that yeah. discontinuity can sometimes create a click or a pop and so the way to get around that is by crossfading those two clips together and what that means is you're kind of at the very tail end this could be like 10 milliseconds it could be very small eight ten milliseconds mm-hmm. while the cl- clip while the first clip is fading out so the volume is being smooth uh, as being taken down the next clip is fading up and this kind of smooth crossfade oftentimes is enough to eliminate uh that audible click or pop with a discontinuity i heard a
1: uh, professional producer talking about when he first learned recording he didn't know what slip editing was so what he did to hide all his slip edits was he would put a loud crash cymbal from the drums <laughs> on all of his on all of his cuts because otherwise he'd hear the pop. So yeah. that's that's not what to do. <laughs> but it it shows the problem though of like Yeah. um you have to do something about it or else you're going to have these horrible clicks and pops.
0: Do you got any tips or tricks that speed up your your editing workflow?
1: Yeah, I do actually. Um aside from just what you talked about Vadim, I really recommend go into your DAW first read the manual and find the section in the manual about keyboard shortcuts. And if there's not a printable version of it somewhere on the internet, make a printable version and paste it right next to your computer. Mm. Uh, Thankfully, when I bought studio one, I actually bought it in a physical box whenever I first got it a long time ago. And it came with a little uh, pamphlet that had all the shortcuts just printed on it. And I just kept it in front of my keyboard and I got to the point where, when I'm editing now, I never even—I don't even have to look at the keyboard. My hands just naturally—it's like probably like Malcolm feels when he's playing his keyboard parts. He doesn't have to right. look at the keyboard anymore. His fingers just know where to go.
0: Other than like split clips and crossfade and tap to transient, are there other like very
1: common keystrokes that you just have memorized intuitively? Uh, zoom in and zoom out. There's a zoom cool. Yeah. There's a cool feature that will. So if I'm zoomed in really far to do some specific editing i think z in studio one it gives you like an overview of all your tracks immediately and then you can click it again and it'll go right back to where you were ah very cool that's very helpful to like get a broad overview of i've been editing all day where am i in the song oh there i am and then you're right back automatic crossfades that's a great one too so if you already have uh two pieces of audio that you've slipped instead of automatically drawing the crossfades, you can just hit a keystroke and it will draw crossfades in for you. That's that's a really helpful one. That's a great the, one, yeah. Those are the main ones that I use. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Well, I mean, yeah, control... Uh, Control Z, Control Y. Yeah, yeah. Control Z, Control yeah. Z is
0: my all-time favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, undo. Yeah, the last thing you did. That's a huge one, actually. In, in in Pro Tools, Control Z is undo, and then Control Shift Z is redo. So oh, you can, okay. uh, if you if you undo one too many, you could quickly redo it. Uh, the other qu- one I use a lot is uh, Group Suspend, um, which is what we just talked about. If you made a group, but then let's say oh, this one snare mic has some noise in it and I want to get rid of that noise, but I don't want to delete the audio from my every track in my group. So with a keystroke, I can suspend the group, meaning that I can now just work with that individual snare track and then I can re-enable re-en- the group and work on all the drum tracks again. So that's another big one. I would say that covers like the big ones I use. Oh, and there's another, a waveform zoom one too that I've I, I use a lot, which is that you know, you have your waveform visually and you can make it bigger or smaller, which sometimes helps you find the transients. Mm -hmm. It also helps you find the noise. Sometimes there's noise that you can hear, but you can't quite see it. And really maximizing those waveforms will uh, let you visually see where
1: the noise is. And that tells you like where you can, what you can remove, what you can just cut. That's great, all of those. And there's, there's a whole bunch of other ones too, like turn on and off automation arm, disarm track, uh, create new track. These are all, I mean, pretty much anything you can do in a DAW can be assigned to a keyboard shortcut. Um, So it's worthwhile looking through them. Yep. Um,
0: Okay, we talked about groups. We talked about buses. Oh, the the big thing we didn't talk about is you mentioned track organization with the naming. The other thing you can do is change the colors, typically, of the tracks, and that's a huge one. I started doing this... Just recently, four or five oh, really? months ago, I, I never really cared before. I would—I mean, I would—my audio tracks were one color, and my buses were another color, and I just lived with it. But now I'm very meticulous. Where my <sighs> all my drum tracks are always green, and any bus drum bus tracks are dark green, and then bass is always blue, um, clean guitars are always yellow, big the heavy guitars are
1: always orange. This is so is wrong. This is so wrong. Drums are always blue and bass is red. You know this. I'm just kidding.
0: No. <laughs> red is for the most important thing, Ben. <laughs> red, I make my vocal tracks red. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, it doesn't uh, matter. Anyway, it just picks up the It doesn't matter. To it. Yeah. yeah. As long as you're consistent, because what that does is, like, once you have a busy session, you can quickly scroll through it and be like, oh, I'm in the blue section. That's bass for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes so um yeah track coloring is a is a very helpful thing to learn um we talked about keyboard shortcuts you can also program macros which i don't do but like that's one I've thing it i want to get into yeah which is like if you do a number of keystrokes in a row yes. consistently, you can program that into a single keystroke and just run it as like a little as a little. Code. Think of I this. Think Studio One is pretty
1: pretty good for that, right? Oh yeah, it's pretty robust. Think of it this way: if you're playing Street Fighter and you want to do the ultimate combo, what if you could program that to one button? That's a now that be called that's <laughs> called cheating, but not an audio. An audio that's called being smart and efficient. Yes.
0: So yeah. Cool. Well, we talked about most of like the next level things. I think these are the things to focus on. So whatever DAW you're using, take some time, sit down and just watch. There's you know YouTube videos on all this stuff. These are the things that are worth investing in because once you get good at editing, man, your life will be so much easier. Now you're brushing your teeth with your right hand or your dominant hand, right? Now you can brush yeah. your teeth much faster and um, that stuff is important. Talk about automation, because I think that
1: is, that is in this next, next tier as well. Automation's really cool because basically you can, you can automate any parameter of a track, including any plugins you have on the track, using automation. And it took me a while to figure this out, because the most basic level of automation is, let's imagine you have eight tracks in a song that you're working on. The most basic level of automation is you turn on automation for a specific one of those tracks, or maybe all of them. But let's just say you turn it on for one track, and uh, you can adjust maybe a couple simple parameters. I'm not sure how Pro Tools works, but in Studio One, by default, there's always volume and pan automation enabled on each track. So you'll see those pop up, and then you can play around with different... Uh, automation envelopes so you can either make it a linear fade where you have the volume fade by a consistent amount as time progresses or you can make it an exponential fade by adding some curvature to that line uh, you can do the same thing with panning and that kind of makes sense so if you're panned to listen to things in the center then you can add all kind of interesting automation to make the sound, on that track move around in Mm. in, a two dimensional space uh, using this pan automation. So that's the most basic level, but there's all all kind of other things you can do too, where um, the main thing I will do with maybe second level of automation is I'll bypass effects that are on tracks. So maybe for, okay, let's talk about, uh, let's say in a song you have a drum break. Maybe in that one specific section, I want to completely bypass all my reverb plugins on my drums so that the drums sound super dry and cool and different. So I'll I'll do things like that. Um, And then there's a third layer of automation where you can automate buses. So you're automating multiple tracks at the same time by manipulating the bus or what's on the bus. It's the same principles, Mm. but just used in different ways. Yeah, the way to think
0: about this is like back in the day when people were recording to tape, what they would do is they would basically have all their recorded tracks running through these big mixing boards and all these hardware plugins and this, this outboard gear. And what they would do is they would they would talk and it would, it, they would say, okay, in verse two, we want to make this vocal louder and then quieter. And somebody would have to remember that. And then as they were recording the tracks now from a tape to another tape, Somebody would have to have their hand physically on that fader and move it, and they would kind of play the mixing board and the pieces of hardware turning knobs and stuff. They would play them like instruments, and it took sometimes a lot of people to write the automation for a song, which is actually a lot of fun. I mean, it it sounds Mm -hmm. like a lot of fun to, to, it was really musical to be able to like play with faders in real time, and it is like a performance. And they would effectively record that performance, them performing on the mixing desk. And that becomes the recording. Now, today, we have this benefit of being able to program these same moves into our plugins. And what you said is exactly right. I'll expand on that. Like in Pro Tools, I can pick any plugin instance, and I can choose the parameters of that plugin that I want to then be able to automate. And I can do whatever I want with them. I could say, I want to boost the EQ for this section and then slowly change it and move it down. And you can you can really create nice flow and dynamics and like you said bypass effects and things like that, which is huge. That's a huge part of mixing to get the flow and feel yeah. to be dynamic and exciting and appropriate at each section
1: of the song. Yeah, that's that's a huge next layer of songwriting workflow because what's the alternative to not using all, uh, automation? And I think it's probably where we all started but I would create a separate track that had maybe that performance without the effect. Mm-hmm. So in, instead of having to have two different performances and two different tracks, you could do everything on the same track. That's kind right. of the whole idea of having that automation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I spend a lot of my time when I'm doing a mix, I don't know what percentage, but a lot of my time is spent automating. It's Changing things and moving things around, and you know, creating the, the movement throughout uh, throughout songs. So yeah, yeah, take some time. Doesn't matter what doll you're using if you're comfortable in it. Now, if you're not comfortable in it, or you you know, you may want to try some other ones. Um, but I would say pick one that you're most comfortable in right now and invest some time into learning these basic things that we talked about today. It will help you because it removes barriers between your creative side and yeah. what you're able to do and how quickly you're able to do it anytime you can remove those barriers you're going to get better results faster and you're
1: going to have more fun yeah exactly couldn't have summarized it any better Vadim
0: cool thank you and yeah it's a pleasure talking to you as always Ben same Vadim well and until next time it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself
1: or you wreck yourself alright Be you later.
0: If you're enjoying the podcast take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media also benjamin and i are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions so if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on reach out you can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com get me on instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support I'll see you next week